0: Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nong. I'd like to welcome you to our Progressive Commentary Hour. Today the topic is trying to have a more objective, honest, And balanced understanding of what is happening in the conflict in the Middle East, specifically between Israel and the Palestinians and Hamas. My guest to take us on this journey is Chris Hedges. Chris is one of our nation's most insightful cultural critics, social and anti war activist, and award winning investigative journalist. He's a graduate of Harvard Divinity School, he's a Presbyterian minister. In a visiting university lecturer, Cornel West called Chris the greatest radical writer and journalist of our generation. For the past two decades, Chris has been writing about his work for over 20 years as a foreign correspondent in war zones and conflicts in Central America, the Middle East, Africa, and the Balkans. Having reported for the New York Times and other news outlets for over 50 countries, while well, at the Times, he received the 2002 Pulitzer Prize for reporting on global terrorism. That same year, he received Amnesty International's Global Award for Human Rights Journalism. Chris has authored many best-selling books. His most recent book is The Greatest Evil is War, which presents a lucid and cogent case against any rationalization of war and its hidden cost to individuals and nations. Chris hosts the weekly program, The Chris Hedges Up Report, with interviews with prominent alternative voices ignored by the media. It airs on the real news network and can be viewed on YouTube and other social media. You can also uh, have his article shown on Substack. You can go there by Chrishedges.substack.com. Now to our guest. Nice to have you with us today, Chris.:
1: Thank you, Gary.
0: Chris, the average American, the average person in many countries, is not getting, in my opinion, an objective, honest, historical perspective of the conflict. As a result, everything that I see, and it's sometimes intellectually painful to watch this because you realize these are resources, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, who have all the ability to find the truth. They have contacts far more than the average person. So why is it they've chosen to exclude the some of the underlying causes of the current conflict? We're seeing not the beginning of a conflict, we're seeing something that's been going on for decades. Now, you've covered war zones for a long time, including in the Middle East and Gaza. The Israeli government officials have declared Hamas as militaristic, Operation Beyond Gaza's Borders is an act of war against Israel. And at this minute, are retaliating against all Palestinians. They're literally destroying a Gaza home to over 2.3 million people. Their idea is, well, we dropped leaflets, we told them to leave, go to a different border. But what's at that border? Are they free just to go out? No, they are not. Can they just go into... Uh, through the Sinai and go over to Egypt? No, they cannot. Well, where exactly are 2 million people supposed to go? And how are they supposed to get there? How many people don't have means of transportation? How many people don't have gas on this single-line road and their cars are out of gas? How many people are on these donkey carts? How many people are leaving all their possessions behind and would the average American or Canadian or British citizens say, I don't mind, you can take my home and destroy it and everything I own. So all I have at this moment is the clothes on my back. And where's their food? Where's their water? Where's their any real aid? And these are not questions I hear anyone in the media asking or caring about. So my question is whether Hamas, in one sense, is really uh, qualifying this as a war, And I say that because uh, there was a statement made by Norman Finkelstein, and I know that you have a close relationship with Norman, and I hope you can further elaborate on what he said in order to get us started. Norman Finkelstein, commenting on Netanyahu's statement that Hamas attacked the state of Israel, said this is completely untrue based upon international law. Gaza and the West Bank were annexed by Israel over half a century ago. Therefore, Gaza is already a part of the state of Israel. In a sense, Palestinians should be de facto citizens of Israel and have all the rights of a normal Jewish citizen, but they have no rights. And none of this is ever discussed. We are led to believe that, well, they don't deserve any rights because they're all terrorists. And you hear this over and over from Lindsey Graham, from Mark Rubio, from Sean Hannity, from Laura Ingram. Oh, Collateral damage is just to be expected because they're all terrorist, you know, and any intelligent person knows that's not the case. Could you then take us on the journey as you see it, starting with the story that the American media is choosing not to tell us? The form is yours.
1: Well, first to begin, I have seven years experience covering the conflict. I was the Middle East Bureau Chief for the New York Times, and I am an Arabic speaker. Um, so I spent months of my life in Gaza. Uh, And I know the conflict intimately. Journalism by its very nature is a superficial medium in the sense that it reports the news of the day without context and that's especially uh, destructive uh, or unhelpful when you're trying to untangle the long conflict as you mentioned between the Israelis and the Palestinians. So they will talk about refugee camps in Gaza, but if you haven't uh, read historical accounts of what happened in nineteen forty eight uh, with the creation of the State of Israel, the ethnic cleansing of seven hundred and fifty thousand Palestinians, uh, the large numbers of uh, of, uh, top of about fifty Palestinian towns and villages that were so the some 50,000 Palestinian towns and villages that were destroyed, Uh, the uh, seizure of 78% of Palestinian land, Uh, remember that this was historically Muslim land from the occupation uh, in the 7th century all the way up to 1948, Uh, and then the slow-motion ethnic cleansing that has characterized Israel's occupation of both the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza, which under international law, this was land seized in war, should be returned to the Palestinian people. Now, things are especially dire in Gaza, which is the world's largest open-air prison, and I want to stress that Gaza is an extremely small area. It's one of the most densely populated places on the planet, but it's only 25 miles long and about 5 miles wide. I worked a lot in Gaza. Uh, It's... uh, Gazans cannot go in and out, uh, most, with very rare exceptions. And um, there's no work, about 50% unemployment. That figure climbs uh, to youth, I think it's up to 70%. Uh, They live on a subsistence level, that's part of the Israeli plan. There are periodic armed assaults. Now remember, Israel is one of the most sophisticated militaries in the world. Uh, and they will use their attack aircraft, their naval guns. They're using bombarding Gaza now with naval guns, uh, the missiles, uh, command and control. Uh, the, the, the Palestinians have none of this. Uh, they don't have an air force. Uh, and so when you call it a war, that's a complete misnomer. Uh, it is part of that continuum of the, of the slaughter uh, and the repression of the Palestinian people. And of course, Norman uh, Finkelstein is right. Uh, he's done arguably the most courageous uh, work on over 40 years on this Sorry. conflict. Uh, he, his, both of his parents were in concentration camps. His mother was, I believe, in Auschwitz. His father was in Bergen-Belsen. And he looks at uh, correctly. He calls Gaza concentration camp the largest concentration camp in the world, uh, and the the slaughter of civilians by Israel in Gaza, up up until this attack, uh, was uh, much larger than uh, any of the Israelis who were killed in this conflict. I think between 2020 and right before the attack, you had about 8,000, roughly 8,000 uh, Gazans who have been killed, uh, tens of thousands who had been wounded, um, hundreds of them have been children. Um, and so what you had with this on October 7th, when they broke through The security barrier, it was uh, Hamas, largely young men who uh, I suspect for the most part had never seen uh, a world outside of that concentration camp. Uh, And they did attack civilians. Uh, They killed about 300 soldiers. They overran army outposts, but they did kill a large number of civilians. But I think in any uprising throughout history, whether it's the Haitian, uh, slave revolt, uh, the, uh, many thousands of French planters were killed, the Nat Turner Rebellion, where whites were murdered, and of course, Native Americans who uh, attacked and destroyed white settlements, especially Red Cloud. That's to try and uh, thwart the westward expansion. Uh, and indeed, my own family is on both sides of my family have been here since the, around 1630, but I'm descended from a man who, as a boy, hid in the chimney while the rest of his family were butchered by Native Americans. So that's not to condone. To you know, to understand is not to condone. Uh, but uh, when you suffer that uh, long, slow drip of humiliation uh, and confinement, and we're talking about decades, I mean, Gaza's been effectively sealed from the outside world for 16 years. Uh, and uh, And so, yes, you're right. It's not put in context, uh, and it's being used as an excuse uh, to essentially level Gaza. Now, they have told roughly 1.1 million Palestinians in the northern part of Gaza to evacuate. And you're right, they have nowhere to go. Number one, as I mentioned before, it's an extremely small space. The southern border is controlled by Egypt, which they don't open. uh, And then, of course, they have cut off food, fuel, water, uh, there's no electricity, there's no internet service, and that's, I think, largely because Israel does not want images. Uh, and and they're talking about destroying the northern part of Israel. The northern part of Israel includes Gaza City, uh, the largest city, with 750,000 people, and the Al-Shifa Hospital, the major medical center of Gaza. Uh, and I think that the, the Israelis have seized upon this moment to carry out what has always been true, uh, but to aggressively carry out ethnic cleansing, uh, certainly seizing the northern part of Gaza, they they would like to uh, push Palestinians over the border into Rafah, into the Sinai, and then of course they would never return. Uh, The danger of this is that uh, it's going to be very hard for a group such as Hezbollah in Lebanon not to react. Uh, and that could really trigger a wider conflagration, a very dangerous one. Uh, but that's where we are, uh, and uh, and you're right. The, the context is not there, but I would say, having covered the Middle East, it's almost never there. Um, journalism isn't designed to give context, um, but I agree with you that this is especially appalling because they're painting it in these blacks and whites, good and evil. Um, again, I'm not defending anything Hamas did, uh, but you know Israel has been doing it to their children for a very long time. They just have uh, a sophisticated weaponry, long-range artillery and aircraft, and to do it more efficiently and more remotely.
0: I appreciate your overview. Thank you, Chris. Chris, we're going to play a three-minute interview clip with Israeli ambassador to the United Kingdom, showing, and again, I see this in the United States in all the media, starting off with whatever is happening, Israel's on the right side, everyone in Gaza and the Palestinian movements are on the wrong side, and therefore anything that happens to any citizen is their own fault. They created this without letting us understand anything that... The uh, Israeli government may have done at different times to precipitate people's reactions as if the only way a person in a confined area should act is passively. There should be no resistance. And as a result, when people were told, and I hear this all the time, well, there are peaceful ways of dealing with this. Well, there had been many efforts, including anti- Uh, violent efforts within the Palestinian movements. There are 19 different Palestinian political movements, 10 are active uh, and 9 are not, but many of those seek a peaceful resolution. But every time there is an effort at a peaceful resolution, the Israeli side controls the outcome, and then we're supposed to expect that no one under any condition should overreact and cause injury or death because then that means that they are on the wrong side. So take a listen to this and then respond, please, because she is speaking, or this ambassador, I should say, sorry, is speaking about everything that is happening uh, around the United States, on all the media, defending Israel, not only defending it, but even going so far as to suggest that we should support Israel attacking uh, Iran, and any other uh, other groups around Iran, including on, in Lebanon, and that this, we should completely, as one of the top people said, these are not human beings, these are animals, and therefore we're going to level it all. And then there was a photograph of a city, and beside the photograph was an empty space. Like, we want Gaza to be an empty space. We want them gone forever. So the question is also, when they're defending Israel's actions and the decimation of all these buildings, where exactly are these people supposed to go back and and sleep or use the bathroom or cook a meal? How, how in the world have you ever had over one million individuals, minimally, and by the way, if they do it for one part, why won't they do it for the whole thing and just get rid of the Palestinian issue completely, which some of us are the opinion that, that might be the underlying a motivation, where are these people supposed to go? There's no place on the planet that has that many people in that small a space with no facilities to help them. You mentioned they were going into the desert, and there would be a tent city in the desert, and they're supposed to live the next 50 years there as they've done this, and why hasn't the media ever gone in and shown the living consequences of what's happened just in the last 20 years? Or how about the, uh, the consequences to their children? Are not all children? A sacred not just an Israeli child but also a Palestinian child these are the issues that are not being addressed let's go to the clip
2: this morning that would illustrate that they're in crisis in gaza can i ask you something yeah are you a mother yes what would you think if your children would have been executed in front of your eyes would you expect your government to think about those Nazis committing those crimes and to say wait a second first of all we need to protect the enemy and then to protect my children your children come as priority to your Prime Minister so we do have you know show- that we have been showing images this morning that uh, illustrate that there is a humanitarian crisis in Gaza so blame Hamas and ask Hamas why they started those atrocities walking so you acknowledge that there is a humanitarian crisis I'm saying there is no Israel is working. So what do you think is happening? What is happening? There is a war in Gaza, a war that Hamas started by committing a horrible massacre on innocent Israelis. The world have what seen it. What about collateral damage Wait a second, innocent civilians? Just, just I want to say and give a little bit of a context. Those people created crimes that are worse than ISIS. When the Americans started this fight of ISIS together with the coalition forces, over 100 Thousand civilians got caught in a crossfire. Israel is trying to prevent that. Israel is better than any other army in the world. We are alerting, we are giving them the opportunity to have a shelter. We are doing things that no other Western army did in the past. Better than any other army in the world? Can I, can I tell and you something? Better than any other army in the world? Yes, no so army. So where were they defending your people you, last Saturday? We failed protecting the people of Israel and this is why now we need to make sure Hamas won't be in our border. But I'm trying to say we War for many years, trying to build trust with the Palestinian people. We gave them the permission to work in our cities. We were trying to build a better I'm future. I'm asking you about the innocence of millions that are losing now, their lives at the moment. And now we lost so and many people. You're saying that is not a humanitarian crisis. How, how can you say that? The humanitarian crisis at the moment is. Are you Israel. saying there's subhuman? There is. No, no. Actually, they made the Jews subhuman they treated them as subhuman. When you're taking babies, cutting them and tying them together and burning them to death, you're treating them less than an animal. Just the Nazis treated Jews and like are that. are guards, guards and civilians responsible for that? The Hamas is responsible exactly. for that. Exactly, and what about the collateral damage of the um, guards Hamas and civilians? Hamas is responsible for that, to that as well because they're the one who preventing from their people to get a shelter. Israelis gave them the opportunity to find a safe place in South Gaza, and they need to take it because this is as, as the best it can be. And, and I'm going back to the world coalition fighting ISIS. So Mosul was a place where hundred thousand civilians were killed. I don't want to go back to your history by targeting German cities. Dresden was a symbol of that because you knew that this is the only way to beat the Nazis and make them surrender. This is the reality that Israel is facing. Cruel, cruel barbaric terror organization. This is Al-Qaeda, this is ISIS. This is similar to the Western coalition the grand, in the last few years. Tell me and what the, the world grand, is a better place without ISIS. The world will be much better tell place me without command invasion is
1: going to
0: look like. Chris, would you address this her statements please?
1: Well, I mean the neocons in the United States do the same thing. Everything harkens back To World War II, but if you want to go back to World War II, the historical analogy that works is the Warsaw Ghetto or any of the other ghettos. Indeed, the um, Warsaw Ghetto has long uprising, I'm talking about the Jewish uprising in the Warsaw Ghetto has long served as a kind of uh, template among Palestinians, and uh, the uh, uh, PLO for many years before its demise uh, would always lay a wreath uh, every year at the annual in, P- in Warsaw in the Poland uh, f- uh, to commemorate the uh, uprising uh, at the Warsaw Ghetto. Uh, the, uh, I had a, a, a post uh, that I put up uh, on the substack, uh, and uh, it, it's um, uh, it, I, I talked about my friendship with Alina Margolis, who uh, uh, was in the Warsaw Ghetto uh, and was married to the uh, deputy commander of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, uh, Marek Edelman, uh, the only one to survive the war. Uh, and, and in the ghetto, the Nazis had sealed 400,000 Polish Jews, uh, trapped these Jews, they died in the thousands from starvation, from disease, from indiscriminate violence and then when they began to transport Jews to the concentration camps or the extermination camps uh, this tiny resistance, none of whom suspected that or believed that they would survive, rose up to resist. What's interesting is that Edelman after the war uh, refused to leave Poland and condemned Zionism as a racist ideology that was used to justify the theft of Palestinian land. He openly supported uh, the Palestinians. Indeed, he met with them. Uh, he attacked Israel for its appropriation of the Holocaust, to justify its repression of the Palestinian people, who of course had nothing to do uh, with the Holocaust. And Israel's response was to treat Edelman as a pariah. Um, he was never invited to Israel. He, uh, he was denounced in Israel. Uh, so here uh, you know, Edelman's argument was that the lesson of the Holocaust and the Warsaw Ghetto uh, was that Jews are not morally superior, they're not eternal victims, history belongs to everyone, uh, and the oppressed, including the Palestinians, have a right to f- fight, he said, for equality, dignity, and liberty, With uh, in, in terms of fight, in terms of using weapons. Uh, so uh, the, what she's done, of course, is invert The entire history, the the Palestinians are not Nazis. The the Nazis occupied land, the Nazis built the concentration camps, uh, and there's a far stronger historical analogy between the Palestinians and the Jews uh, in World War II. Uh, And, uh, you know, the language of rendering human beings subhuman. And again, I'm not in any way defending the Killings of innocent civilians, indiscriminate killings of innocent civilians by Hamas, but they are now taking it out on Palestinian civilians. I mean, the estimate is that since Israel began its bombardment of Gaza, 600 children have died. Uh, so, you know, children die on each side, and I had to see the bodies. I covered the bus bombings in Jerusalem in the 80s, and I saw the bodies of Israeli citizens and Israeli children, just as I saw the bodies of Israeli citizens and Israeli children in the corridors of al-Shifa hospital in Gaza. Uh, so, this kind of world without pity, this uh, dehumanization of the other, uh, you know, that's a language Hamas will often use, by the way, but it's uh, it's the fuel of war, uh, which uh, uh, begins with uh, the, uh, the by justifying the murder of innocents because they're less than human and of course that's what exactly what she was doing
0: there have been many atrocities carried out by israel against palestinians it could be discussed but never are however the one that is perhaps the most egregious in recent times was the brutal massacre on the on the gazians nonviolent peace uh, march great march of return, starting in 19, uh, 2018. I, I saw it because Abby Martin, who I know you know, um, Abby was a part of a documentary on the ground, in the front lines, a peaceful marching, and the snipers, were uh, the IDF forces, were indiscriminately shooting unarmed, and they were all unarmed Palestinian protesters. and. Uh, because they were just marching up to a fence. They wanted to be able to return without fences and barriers to what had been for a long time their homes. But what makes this event even more egregious is that no international action about humanitarian crimes were ever truly brought against Israel in any concerted manner. Of course, the United States and all of Israel's European allies buried it. You would have known it happened. All the events and crimes are very well documented, leaving no question about, doubt about Israel's crimes, yet nothing ever materializes afterwards. Yes, Israel has its Iron Dome to protect it from Palestinian or Hamas missile strikes, but it has a much larger international dome built by the United States and its allies that control the multilateral global institutions, which protects Israel from criminal courts and the accusations of wrongdoing. Could you address that, and specifically the idea that peaceful, mainly young people, uh, were out there just walking with signs, and there were the Israeli snipers shooting them in the kneecaps, shooting them in the ankles, and uh, these people now are all over. And we're not talking about a few or a few hundred There were thousands of uh, people shot, many killed, not a word, and no condemnation. Your thoughts, please.
1: Yeah, it was butchery. I mean, I followed it. Uh, They were marching peacefully up to the border fence, and the Israeli army fired with live ammunition. You had 150 Palestinians were killed. About 10,000 were injured, including 1,849 children, 424 women 115 paramedics and 115 journalists because they targeted the paramedics and the journalists. Uh, and of those injured, 5,814 were hit by live ammunition. Uh, and all of that at the when they uh, continually day after day use live fire against nonviolent demonstrators. And this was inspired by Gandhi. It was uh, meant to be nonviolent civil disobedience. Uh, hamas began to shoot back so at the end it changed its character but this was at the beginning you are right this was a non-violent protest and during this butchery on the israeli side you had one soldier who was very lightly injured due to shrapnel from a gray grenade that had been tossed by a palestinian from inside gaza and one uh soldier that was killed put by uh by sniper fire from the fence that separates uh Gaza, but yes, it's and this is just uh, typical of uh, the disparity uh, of firepower uh, that has always uh, uh, been uh, uh, defined the whole Palestinian conflict. Uh, You had the uh, what's known as Operation Cast Lead, uh, that's in two thousand and eight. Uh, in 2009, Hamas had been firing rockets. These are kind of homemade; they're not, you know, they're not uh, uh, anything close to the kind of missiles that uh, sophisticated missile systems that uh, Israel had. But in response, uh, they began. Israel began a ground invasion in early January, um, and uh, uh, you had uh, tremendous uh, slaughter. Uh, uh within uh within gaza and again it was defined uh as as a war um but it's not a war i think uh uh israel fired about fifteen thousand one fifty five millimeter artillery shells these are gigantic shells i was under that kind of shelling in sarajevo but we're talking uh you know shells uh the size of of uh you know small torpedoes um uh they killed uh uh I don't I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's in the thousands. Uh and again, uh I, I think it was uh about two thousand Palestinians, including civilians and militants, were killed and about eight thousand were wounded
0: The reports we're seeing are horrifying. Over one thousand thirty Palestinian children have been killed so far as of this morning. But then there are the other activities underway. The Wall Street Journal reported that the United States is deploying 2,000 American troops to help Israel, I assume, with its operations. We had the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations stating that no humanitarian crisis in Gaza exists. Can you imagine that? And ludicrously stating that it is the responsibility of Hamas, just as this other ambassador just mentioned. CNN has a crazed Israeli soldier interviewing, interviewed stating that all Palestinian citizens are enemies. Then Israel has bombed the UN uh, warehouse of supplies and about 10 journalists have been killed so far. But on the other side, about 500,000 Israelis protested at the defense ministry in Tel Aviv calling Netanyahu a murderer. None of that was covered by the American media. And there are reports of militias organizing in Syria, Iraq, Pakistan, and mobilizing in Iran. You mentioned Hezbollah launching attacks on Israeli military installations on the Lebanese border. So there are are very clear signs that this conflict is escalating beyond Israel's borders, which would certainly pull the United States and other Western countries deeper into it. And since you know the Middle East better than anyone I know, who knows Middle East, you visited there, you visited Palestinian territories, and visited the wretched humanitarian conditions. Could you put the current conflict into a larger geopolitical perspective, please?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the big immediate danger is Hezbollah, which I think has to respond to kind of save face, Um And you've already seen cross-border incursions on the part of Israel. They've had sent over attack helicopters. Hezbollah has about 7,000 pretty sophisticated missiles. It's, it's, uh, uh, you know, and those missiles have the range to reach cities like uh, Tel Aviv. Um, So that has the potential to really, uh, as you point out, widen the war. Um, uh, Iran backs Hezbollah, uh, as it does Syria, which is also on uh, Israel's border. Uh, You had a war in 2006 between Israel and uh, Hezbollah, it was a 34-day conflict in Lebanon. Um, And what's interesting is that uh, Israel lost that war. Uh, the, Israel was really pushed out of southern Lebanon by uh, Hezbollah, uh, killed about 1,300 Lebanese people, about 165 Israelis, uh, heavily damaged the Lebanese civil infrastructure, Displaced about a million uh, Palestinians. Um, so it's not unprecedented that something like that could easily ignite again, and then bring in other actors throughout the region. I know Norman is worried about Israeli strikes on Iran, uh, which would just be suicidal, but it is very possible.
0: How is the United States and other countries like the United Kingdom further fueling the conflict? And do you see Russia, China, or Saudi Arabia, which cut off negotiations with Israel that were underway, playing any role? in peace efforts according to international laws and or even the BRICS nations now that they have become a formidable international economic force. By the way, it was just announced yesterday that the uh, BRICS nations and that does not include the 21 that are currently applying for membership uh, nor does it include the gross domestic product of Saudi Arabia United Arab Emirates Mexico which are currently in the new five joining it, but they already have exceeded the G7 in international uh, in international uh, domestic product. Um, so that's a huge factor going forward, and there are over 40 other countries that want to join BRICS. But how does all this manifest as you see it? And why in the world would people go on television and suggest that... That this is a good thing, and we should not question uh, the armaments being sent, the money being sent, and what Israel is doing is if this will not get out of hand, it'll stay in control.
1: Well, I mean, I mean we have to remember that the Netanyahu government is the most virulently right-wing government in Israel's history, composed of figures who are openly uh, racist and have long called for the... Uh, ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, including in uh, inside Israel. Uh, and so, in a way, the uh, Hamas attacks um, are a kind of dream come true for these people. This already had begun uh, a massive uh, killing within the West Bank. Massive. I mean, you know, I think over 200 Palestinians have been killed uh, in the West Bank. About 50, some 51, 52, right around there, the number may be higher now, have been shot dead in the West Bank uh, since uh, October 7th, since this attack began. Settlers, armed Jewish settlers in the West Bank, have been rampa- carried out murderous rampages through Palestinian towns. Uh, but this coalition government is really unlike anything we've seen. It's made up of Jewish. Extremists and fanatic Zionists and religious uh, bigots. Uh, Alan uh, Pincus, who writes for the newspaper and Aretz, which does is a very good newspaper and has some amazing journalists who do really courageous coverage of the Palestinians, uh, Gideon Levy, Amir Haas, and others, but calls the government uh, cacostocracy. Uh, 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 this is his words: the worst and least suitable collection of ultra-nationalist, Jewish supremacists, anti-democrats, racist bigots, homophobes, misogynists, corrupt, and allegedly corrupt politicians. Uh, so he's he's cobbled together Netanyahu, this coalition government, or now they have an emergency government, but, but before, uh, from just the ultra-orthodox and religious uh, uh, Zionists. Uh, you know, there's a very famous Ben Kavir, he's from the ultra-Orthodox Jewish party, uh, and uh, Yehudid, who's was a follower of Meir Kahana. I mean, these are people are all the government uh, uh, figures. And they have—I uh, mean, you know, Ben Gavir, for instance, was rejected for army service because of his uh, extremism. They were all uh, cheerleading the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin, who I knew and covered, uh, the former prime minister, in 1995 by a Jewish. Uh, extremists. So these are the people who are running Israel. And uh, um, and I think that they this attack has given them the opportunity or opened the door for what they wanted to do for a long time. Uh, and I expect to see certainly in Gaza pretty extreme measures against the Palestinians.
0: By what measure of reason or logic can we continue to accept the major media and all of the apologists in a brilliant propaganda campaign, give Netanyahu's government, give the the Anti-Defamation League, give all of the different contacts they have a a five-star rating for being master propagandist, because you do not see any of our legislators standing up and challenging that how can you call yourself this important democracy in the Middle East when you've got millions of citizens or millions of people living there under occupied conditions who have no right to vote, no right of choice of any kind, then how does that fit in with the notion of you're a great democracy, and especially what we're seeing now? And then take us to what we have not had any intelligent discussions in the mainstream media, the months and months' protests by Israeli citizens against Netanyahu for his extended grab of additional power and what that would mean if he has this power, especially since he's still in the middle of corruption allegations. Could you take us there as well, please?
1: Yeah, there, you know, Netanyahu has been because he's under investigation for corruption. He uh, uh, wants to shatter the independence of the judiciary uh, by uh, forcing the judiciary to uh, Um, follow dictates by the Knesset, the parliament, which he controls. So, and you've had, as you point out, hundreds of thousands of Israelis protesting because this is really the end of any uh, independent judiciary in Israel. So uh, that has been uh, an element that uh, has weakened uh, the Netanyahu government, but I think that the incursion is probably destroyed Netanyahu politically unless he, uh, because remember that the IDF was not only overrun these outposts, but Hamas had uh, severed the communications links, uh, and so the Israelis didn't even know what was going on. They didn't know people were coming through the fence. And we should be clear, about 1,500 Palestinian fighters were killed. That's larger than the number of Israelis, and I think a lot of them knew, Uh, a lot of these young men knew they weren't coming back. Uh, but again, like the Warsaw Ghetto, they decided that at least they could choose how to die if they couldn't choose how they could live. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, the the, the the government is just filled with the worst con artists and bigots, and, uh, and that's very frightening because the decisions that they're making, uh, which we mentioned before, could have severe ramifications in terms of Uh, escalating this conflict, not to mention the humanitarian disaster it's visited on uh, innocence in Gaza. I mean, it's just an open war crime. Uh, I I wrote my last column on Substack. It was called uh, uh, This Way for the Genocide Ladies and Gentlemen. I didn't use that word lightly. But when you, uh, you know, cut off uh, even water and food, uh to a captive population uh and then uh who are trapped in a in the world's largest concentration camp and then tell them you're going to destroy the entire northern part of the concentration camp uh forcing them into the southern area where there are no resources or infrastructure to adequately care for them i mean you then you begin to use the correctly use the word genocide
0: i was curious as to what some of the original founders like Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister, one of the founders of the state of Israel around 1947-48, and Moshe Dayan, arguably one of Israel's greatest militarists. Um, And I was interested in how they viewed the great expulsion, because that's not discussed at all, ever, in the United States. The average American, the average citizen, of uh, Europe may have a better understanding, but the average American does not. They think this conflict started because there's a radicalized group of uh, Palestinians who hate Jews, who want to see um, Israel wiped off, face the map, and uh, it returned just to the Palestinians. That's the propaganda. So I went back and I read, and I was surprised, and I'll paraphrase, that... Um, especially in, because both said this in different ways, but especially Moshe Dayan when a soldier had been killed, um, one soldier in this case, at a, uh, guarding one of these kibbutzes. And he even explained how they were, had lined up all these kibbutzes around Gaza in order to keep the Palestinians who were in Gaza uh, from getting back into the country. And he said something to this effect. Again, I'm paraphrasing. Do not blame the Palestinians for this act because we took their land. We we stole it. And he's acknowledging this. You know, this, we we stole it and now we've gotten 700,000 more or less out. They're gone and they're not coming back. So understand that it is our responsibility now to defend what we have taken because there'll be more there'll be more killings like this, but understand the, kind of the greater good, the manifest destiny. We came, we saw, we conquered. Yeah, there's gonna be some blowback, but we have to be honest about what this is about. And that really surprised me. I'm not aware that anyone has ever covered this discussion by Moshe Dayan uh, to the public, but he, it's there. If you go back and do your homework, as people unfortunately don't, and the media never does. So shouldn't we begin at least with the acknowledgement of who was on that land, and what percentages of the population prior to uh, Gaza, and how did they live with Christians and and Jews and and, uh, Arabs and Palestinians together? And even initially when some of the kibbutzes were being built, some of the Arabs whose homes were there, actually guarded and took care of uh, the kibbutzes, and then they were purged. In some cases, entire villages were killed. The people were simply murdered. That part of history is never discussed. Could you give us your insight on that, please?
1: Right. So you have some Israeli historians, Elon Poppy and Benny Morris, who actually have done pretty good work on this. You had a couple years ago, uh, the discovery of documents from the time period this is 1948-49 when the Nakba that's the Arabic word for catastrophe took place when two-thirds of Palestinians in what is now Israel were ethnically cleansed uh, from their homes and those uh, documents along with the work of these historians are incontrovertible uh, evidence that the conquest of Palestinian villages and the expulsion uh, and you know, and the criminal actions and violence that were used to achieve that ethnic cleansing was uh, sanctioned by uh, then Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion and others. Uh, and they covered up any kind of uh, report, including uh, reports of several massacres and war crimes that co- were committed by Zionist militias and the Israeli military uh, at that uh, time period. So, it, it, it's the historical evidence is quite clear that unlike what Zionists will say or Israeli supporters will say that Palestinians fled on their own accord or that they fl- they fled because they of incitement by their leaders, uh, uh, is it, just completely untrue. Uh, and this was integral to the establishment of the state of Israel. Uh, you know the fact is uh the the jews were a minority in the 1947 british census the population of palestine was about 1.5 1.1 uh, 1. 1 million roughly palestinian muslims about 146,000 christians and 580,000 jews many of whom had come from europe uh both after world war ii but also before world war ii to set up uh jewish uh uh, settlement. So after 1948, only about 200,000 Palestinians remained in the parts of Palestine that became Israel. Uh, and now we have about 6 million Palestinian refugees or descendants of refugees in places like Gaza. But yeah, that's where they came from. Again, it's not put in context. I mean, the, the ethnic cleansing has been a policy of Israel since its inception. Uh, it continues. Uh, the West Bank is uh, uh, is technically under Palestinian control, but most of the land is controlled by Israel. It's a de facto occupation filled with Jewish settlements and closed military zones. Uh, Palestinian communities like uh, Bethlehem and Ramallah and others are essentially sealed off, uh, they, and that allows Israel at a, any particular moment to shut down all communications and all traffic between Palestinian uh, villages. So yeah, the, the uh, you know the, the deeds of 1948 have been well documented by historians, and the Israeli leadership knew very well what they were doing and the crimes that were committed, the war crimes that were committed to achieve their ends, which was the seizure of Palestinian land.
0: You never hear a single comment in the American media concerning the settlements, and how the Palestinian land was then given to the occupiers, who then set up militias, and they have, they have torn down and burned thousand-year-old Palestinian olive groves. They have poisoned local wells. None of this is ever discussed. And so why not be honest about the problems within both movements, the radicalism within both movements? We just don't, we don't have a proper understanding. How can we have a freedom of choice of of what to believe and who to believe if we don't have all the information from which to make that choice? Well,
1: the Israel lobby is quite powerful. Remember, I worked for the New York Times and, um, and that that narrative was dominant uh, uh you know there there <clears throat> you're right it was a, it, it it was and is a very one-sided coverage uh and having spent so long in the middle east i got kind of sick of it and i used vacation time to go to gaza and write a piece of uh, out of the Hanounia refugee camp, where I lived for ten days, called a Gaza diary, was printed in Harper's Magazine, and uh, and not allow not fill it with Israeli lies, uh, but just to write. Or I didn't interview any Hamas people either. I mean, I just wrote day to day what life was like uh, in this refugee camp, uh, including uh, the shooting of the taunting of by Israeli soldiers. Israel was occupying Gaza then that taunting kids, uh, and then when the kids threw rocks, shooting them with live rounds, killing some, wounding others, I took down their names, I visited them in the hospital, in a couple of cases I went to their funerals, the Israeli lobby went berserk, and the New York Times banned me from writing about the Middle East. So you pay a heavy cost if you attempt to tell an unfiltered story about what's happening, especially to the Palestinians.
0: I think that it would be a value if every every one of the people, the pundits, who are 100% pro-Israel, which is their right, and 100% against Palestinians, but again, which is their right, to first go to Palestine, or go to the Gaza, go to the West Bank, and spend a week there, not as a celebrity, coming and getting special treatment, just drink the water, eat the food, uh, live as a person in Israel in Gaza has to do, and see if that would give them a better perspective, a more honest perspective. It's like a judge going anonymously into a prison that you're going to send a lot of people to and see what it's really like inside there, and therefore would that in any way change the measure of your punishment against someone, because that's not happening. You were there, Um, Abby Martin has gone and lived there, and Max Womenthal has gone there, but the others have not. Uh, your final thoughts on this, please.
1: Well, the problem is, Gary, it's it's careerism, and 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 uh, you know, standing up and speaking truth about what's happening in the Israel-Palestine conflict is a career killer. And large media corporations like the New York Times are filled with consummate careerists. They know what's good for their career and they know what's bad for their career. Uh, so even if they went into Gaza, I'm not sure it would make much difference. I used to say there's only the, the the difference between uh, foreign correspondents is not one of political beliefs, but it's those who have a heart and those who don't. Uh, but if you actually have a heart and you see suffering on that scale and you react to it, uh, then it becomes political. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Hamas. I've been held at gunpoint by Hamas in Gaza. Uh, uh, I certainly don't condone in any way uh the killings that they carried out of civilians in israel but i understand uh why that took place and i'm acutely aware of how uh one-sided that conflict is and how it is primarily palestinians including palestinian children who suffer uh but if you uh, attempt i mean didn't they just remove i don't like Mehdi hassan i think he's awful but didn't they just remove him from msnbc i mean you know you the, there's just no space uh, to counter the Israeli narrative. And if you attempt, however tepidly, to do so, you're out of a job and they know it. And most of these people are about their own advancement. That That is primarily why they're in the business and not about truth and not even about journalism.
0: Chris, once again, thank you very much for sharing your insights as a person who has the qualifications and more importantly, who has the mindset to review the information at hand before making a judgment right now. Everyone is making judgments before there's an opportunity to see the consequences of the response. And the response this time could be the substantial destruction of Gaza with no place for these people to go, no future, no home, and also a lot of casualties are going to occur in this process. And we have people wanting this to happen instead of trying to mediate some form of ceasefire and resolution to stop this. Thank you very much. Chris Hedges' uh, website is chrishedges.com. Uh, his current articles are chrishedges.substack.com, and his new book is The Greatest Evil War. I'm Gary All. Thank you all for listening to the Progressive Commentary Hour. Have a nice day. Brother, brother brother There's far too many of you dying
1: You know